Hey, Sunridge. How you doing? Yeah. Uh, again, if you just came in, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in the middle of a series called Deeply Rooted. And so there are words that we prefer not to be a part of our vocabulary, I know. Words like uh, pain, suffering, hardship. None of us really want to sign up for that. But truth be told, it seems like these things visit us. And even more truthfully, it seems like some people have more than their fair share of it, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but personally, I don't think that it was part of God's original design. And uh, we live in a, in a world that's broken. And when a world is broken, um, people get broken. So I know that today, uh, some of you came here today, and you're right in the middle of brokenness. Uh, I, I know that we lost one of our dear brothers this week, Tim Irwin. We're having his memorial service uh, here at Sunridge next Saturday at 10. And uh, many of you are experiencing grief in different ways. And uh, maybe, maybe you're kind of over the hump with some of your grief, and you've moved on. And for some of us, it's, it's around the corner. We just don't know. Um, and you know, even if I have no pain and suffering in my own life, it's pretty easy to look around and find those that we love and care deeply about, that they're going through it. You know, it's in times like that that uh, your faith makes a difference, or it doesn't. Grief and suffering have a way of driving the roots of our faith deep or toppling our tree altogether. We're in this series called Deeply Rooted, and uh, we're just tracking with a curriculum, a small group curriculum that over 250 people here at Sunridge are going through called Rooted, and we're, we're trying to discover together what it means to have a deeply rooted faith and what are the things that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ to encourage the roots of our faith to grow deep? We know that in the moment of crisis, that's when we need our faith the most, but it's also the place where our faith can fail. Uh, today, uh, you know, to talk about where is God in suffering, we're going to depart from our normal uh, way of doing things with a 30-minute or so talk. I'm being generous to myself about that. Um, and instead of me talking, I, I want you to meet a couple from our church, and uh, I want you to just hear their story. And I think wherever you are right now in terms of what is shaking your faith, I think that they're uh, going to be a blessing to you. They're going to inspire you. And I think you're going to learn some things, too. Uh, you're you're going to for sure recognize one of them uh, who's constantly up here on the stage and brings so much more energy than I can bring. <laughs> and so uh, I just ask you as they come to the stage to give a warm Sunridge welcome to Mike and Becky Herrick. Come on up, you guys. Is it bad to kind of want to crack a joke right now? Yeah, well, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> so you brought a Bible. I brought some 
all kinds of materials here. Makes me feel more here. organized. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess one of the first questions I'd want to ask you guys on a Sunday when we're talking about pain and suffering, what in the world is such a beautiful couple doing up here on our stage? You know, what's your, what's your story? Well, I think you touched on it. I mean, pain and suffering is universal. So um, I think that's one thing we learned with a lot of stuff we've gone through is that it's just everywhere. Um, a little bit of our story to give you some, some background. Uh, we were high school sweethearts, got married after college, um, and uh, had our first child three years into marriage, uh, Ethan. And he was a little bit of a, a, little bit of a surprise. Um, and he was just a joy, a delight, just kind of our world, you know, first-time parents, young. Well, I guess 25, 27. Seven months after Ethan was born, Mike was playing softball with some guys from work, came home complaining of, you know, some pain. I was like, well, you're out of shape, buddy, you know? <laughs> I was really uh, uh, not very nice, probably. Um, and he... Uh, was in increasing pain over the next few days while everyone else at work got better. I think everyone was a little sore. Um, and about three days in, he was in so much pain, he hadn't been able to, to lay down, um, to sleep. He was propped up, couldn't take a deep breath. And uh, finally, he said, I'm in so much pain. He actually lifted up his shirt, and his stomach muscles were contracting on their own. Um, and what we didn't know is we rushed him uh, over to his brother-in-law, who's a physician's house, to take a look at him, because his dad was a doctor as well. You never go to the doctor. You just you know, go to people's houses for, <laughs> for a quick prescription or whatever. And uh, he was um, quickly taken to the hospital. They thought maybe he had pneumonia. They said, you know, this is peripheral pain. His lungs are full of fluid. So they drained it. And um, we, uh, the next day, he, they decided to keep him at the hospital the next day. They said, you have cancer. And we didn't know what that looked like. They took him into surgery right away to debulk the tumor, so they cut him down. Um, his cancer was mushy, kind of like a root. It was everywhere. They knew it was a lymphoma. That's all that they knew at the time. Um, they tried to, what they call debulk it, take as much out as possible to buy him time. And um, it was up against his heart, lungs, esophagus. Immediately they said, this is stage four. He was 27. Like I said, I was 25. I've got a seven-month-old. Um, and he began the, the fight for his life. So he was diagnosed with stage four lymphoblastic lymphoma, which is extremely rare, very, very aggressive. Uh, they didn't know what to do with him at that hospital, so they sent him to City of Hope. We are blessed to be, live so close to City of Hope. Um, at City of Hope, every doctor's appointment we went to, it seemed like his odds of survival were decreasing. At the beginning, they're like, oh, you know, one doctor told us, if you're gonna get cancer, this is the one you wanna get. From there all the way to the point where he had less than 5% chance to live. So while he fought for his life, Ethan grew up. Uh, Mike had a bone marrow transplant right when Ethan turned one. So over those five months, we were in and out of the hospital. Then he was in the hospital for a couple months um, when he had his bone marrow transplant. There were five gentlemen. They had not seen a case in 11 years of this type of cancer at City of Hope. <laughs> And there happened to be five gentlemen all battling the same cancer at the same time, from ages 18 to someone was in their 60s. And um, every, every one of those men passed away, except for Mike. Hmm. So as we heard the news of each man's passing, I think life became uh, more precious to us. 
and yet I for sure thought that he was a goner. His sisters were like, he's going to make it. I'm like, I wouldn't be so sure. Um, and so we, we, yeah, we, we planned his funeral. We uh, you know, made a lot wow. of um, arrangements, started doing videos for Ethan. And at that time, I knew it was going to be Ethan and I. You know, I was like, okay, kid, I'm going to be a widow at 25. It's going to be you and me. We've got we've to get ready for this. Um, so then he just kept living. <laughs> so Darn that was sort of a surprise. <laughs> Here I am. There's the end of the story. Surprise. Um, and then so, you know, we'd keep going in for checkups. I, w I would just be surprised every time. Like, oh, wow, it came back okay. Um, kind of living like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think that's pretty normal, too. A lot of people are in that, you know, where you're kind of, you know, waiting on news. Um, after a couple years, we decided we'd like to have a sibling for Ethan. He wasn't out of the woods yet, but we thought, you know, we, we would like to, to have a sibling. Um, he, we had done some sperm banking, not to get too much into it, but... Um, There's some hysterical stories about that. <laughs> That'll be a different story. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, no. So we, we started trying the, you know, to, to have another child, and then that was a whole other year of um, infertility. Hmm. We couldn't get pregnant, um, we were having a hard time, we thought, you know, gosh, he's just kind of, you know, survived this semi at that point, we didn't know. Um, if he was going to make it, we thought, we just want another child, and uh, we couldn't, and that was really hard on me, you know, all the, the shots, the, you're, you're spending so much money, and this was a lot more like real life, this trial, it was like, how much, Lord, do you want us to do? Um, with the cancer, it was like all or nothing, like, Lord, you got, you, this is a miracle, or we don't know, but with the infertility, it was much more, I felt a lot more active in it, and seeking the Lord all the time, like, should we try another round, should we not, why don't you want us to have a child, a child's a good thing, and just going through all of that. Um, back then, there weren't support groups, I think there are now, but that was, that was a real challenge. So, we are about to give up, Mike said, try one more time, let's, let's try this, um, you know, just one last ditch effort, and uh, then we surprisingly found out we were pregnant with triplets. Wow. So uh, we had the triplets, uh, and Ethan um, turned four right after the triplets were born. So our family was finally com complete. I remember feeling so much joy. Uh, I mm. went and got my hair done because I'd been on bed rest and, and some of that through um, my pregnancy. I remember just thinking, leaving, I'll never forget, I was on the driveway, and you came out. I was leaving all four kids with, with Mike, and, he, and I just said, finally, you know, we've come through the storm. Mm. Our family is complete, like this is just, I just feel so blessed. And about a month later, um, we were at Mike's sister's house and um, we, Ethan was walking around, walking through puddles, saying, look at my footprints, and he fell. And we heard a smack on the concrete and we looked down and he was in a lot of pain. And what we didn't know was that he had fractured the, the side of his skull and it created a slow brain bleed. And so we took him home, he said, mommy, my head hurts, he was talking to us. We were at his brother-in-law's house, who's a physician. He looked at him, said, you know, he looks good. Um, we got home, they were in Tustin. We drove back down to Marietta. I said, you know, I just feel funny. So we called the pediatrician. He said, if he didn't, you know, none of the symptoms, didn't fall from something high, didn't hit something on the way down, no vomiting, you know, all the, the normal stuff. He said, just keep an eye on him. So at midnight, I got up to feed the triplets and uh, went to rouse him, and he was already in a coma. So we rushed him to the hospital. Um, and he uh, was already, like, that close to brain dead. So they, they did everything that they could to try to save him, immediately started operating on him, creating, uh, trying to create space in his brain, and, um, you know, within about 24 hours, we knew that there was nothing else they could do. 
So uh, I remember standing in the ER, I think probably a lot of you guys have had these moments where your whole world just changes, right? And I remember crying out to God. I was there by myself because Mike had to stay home. I said, I'm taking him, you know, and by the time the parents, you know, my parents came to help. And, and the ER was spinning. And I remember just thinking, like, God, no, please, no. Like, not him. Like, he was the one you gave me to get through Mike's cancer. He was the one, like, that was the joy. He was the one who the triplets were for. Like, he, no, please. I was, like, screaming inside as, you know, the, the room is, is going. And you just realize right then your life has changed forever. And um, so we were able to donate his organs, and we've had a lot of um, wonderful things that have come out of that. And, uh, and then we've had other little blips in the road since then. We've, you know, the financial crisis, we've lost a house, you know, that's like small beans compared to a lot of stuff that, that we've gone through. But um, yeah, suffering is, is unfortunately universal. And how, how long ago was that? So Ethan uh, would be Ethan. 17, so it's been 14 years. 14 years, yeah. yeah. It has to just be devastating. Yeah. Um, I, w- I want to ask you guys two questions. It's one question from different angles, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know the difference your faith made in going through that. And then I also want to know, like, what effect these events had on your faith. So now... what? Before we go there, like, how? Did, when did you guys become Christians? When? What's your story there? Uh, I became a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home, um, kind of uneventful. Uh, really, pronounced my faith when I was 15 at church camp, like many of us have. Um, and then, clearly, obviously, once we get into these these crises, your your faith gets really real. So, what about you? Yeah, I was a child also, and then, you know, in teenage years, it got stronger. But I don't think anything ever prepares you for no. tragedy like that, um, you know, sort of where the rubber meets the road. So you walked into that phase of your life with faith. We did. Mm-hmm. So what, um, how, how did that, let, let's start here. How did, how did your faith, and I'm sure there's like a lot of stories this, but how did, how did your faith affect the way that you went through? What influence did it have? And um, so there's a level of hope. Um, I'll give you an example. So when I was at City of Hope, I was, I'm deeply in the battle of cancer, and um, at the beginning, before it got really acute, I shared a room with a gentleman who was probably early 70s, maybe late 60s, was the oldest gentleman that we knew that had this, um, or actually he didn't have the same cancer, it was just a different type of cancer, but he was in his late 60s. And um, I remember vividly, his wife, this gentleman's um, very affluent, uh, had been very successful in life, was a business owner. Um, I, you know, shared a, a room with him for a couple of days. I assumed that he had virtually, you know, monetarily speaking, he basically had everything he wanted. And I remember his wife coming in, well-dressed, hair perfect, beautiful jewelry. And I remember her coming in and um, handing him some papers. And now there's a divide between us, but you can still hear the action of, of some papers being violently you know, given to somebody. And uh, I didn't know what that meant. I knew that there was lots of... Uh, 
um, words that we can't use in church thrown out <laughs> and some uh, real conversation and he left or she left and um, I asked him, I said, well, what was that all about? And he, he only said one thing, he made one, he shared with me one sentence, he, she just walked out on me. She just divorced me. And that's when you realize that your faith is the only thing that can get you through. Because if you try to rely on who we are as human and the strengths that we have as just humans, you fall short. You don't have the you don't have the capacity. You don't have the skill set to be able to to overcome something like that. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Becky? How did? What was the question? Again? How does your How did you? I know I threw a bunch of razzle dazzle here? questions at you. They're like, what? How did your faith that you had, yeah. you know, affect the way you processed yeah. all of this or you went through it? Um, yeah, I think with Mike's cancer, I definitely felt like I was more just kind of watching it all happen and trying to get by and still raise Ethan and, and then prepare for his death. I had to sell a house. I think I was more task-oriented. Like, I remember telling him, I'll grieve your death after you're gone. I don't want to spend time grieving it now while mm. you're still here. So it was a lot of survival mode, and I felt like God was just kind of carrying me through. We have those moments, you know, you're just like your feet are off the ground. Um, after Ethan's death, that was, um, I mean, that just shook me to my core. I mean, I've never felt so, I mean, there aren't words to describe that pain. Mm. I utter, like, living hell, I don't know. It, mm -hmm. it was so... Um, painful I mean again the adjectives aren't there but mm -hmm. I, I felt there he was almost like my every breath I remember sitting on my sofa and just being thinking I'm going to die and then just like the voice inside take a breath okay take a breath you know exhale I mean it was to the point so acute where I could almost feel and I miss this and this is why and we can talk about this book that I really love during my the grief journey um, grace disguised by Jerry Sitzer because he talks about how in these moments of extreme pain are these such intimate moments with God. And I almost miss that. Like, the, I don't miss the pain, and I don't want to go through it again. Yeah. We've had a chat. Okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm out. Um, but um, that intimacy of, like, almost feeling him there, I held mm. Ethan in my arms at his sister's house right after he had passed, and he, he fell asleep on my arms and then woke back up before we got him home. And I can almost see, like, Jesus was there, like, weeping for what was going to happen. Like, I could feel it. Like, he was present more than I'd ever experienced in my life. And it was so sweet, yet so awful. Yeah, there's even the, in the Psalms, it says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, mm -hmm. which is like a promise that somehow God draws closer to us mm -hmm. and yet invites us to come close to him mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, what about like the flip side of that? I mean, how did your faith change from the experience? Or did it? Yeah. Um, so it's going to get real here. Hmm. Um, I, I obviously, we had different experiences. So I was, as I shared earlier, a Christian and thought that, you know, I had this relationship with God. But I was ticked. I mean, I, I mean, to say I was ticked is, is putting it lightly. I was beyond mad. Um, and after going through that grief, I think it's, it's good for us to know that that's healthy. That's, it's, 
I think God, when we have a relationship with God, he wants us to be real with him. Mm -hmm. He wants us to share our frustrations. And so um, in, in the midst, the most acute time was when we lost our son. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the cancer thing was, it was, didn't hold a candle to the, the pain of losing a son. But um, the, the, our, my relationship during that time um, really ebbed and flowed. I, I wish I could say that I was this pillar and you know I, I stood strong and I, I held fast, but uh, I wasn't perfect. Yeah. But the beauty is, is that there's hope. Like you can get through that and you can get to the point where um, your faith grows to be such that it's a relationship like, like none other. I mean, I am, absolutely in love with my wife. I think that she is the cat's meow. But to think like how much more my relationship, how close, how much more close I am to Christ mm. going through all this stuff. Now, like Becky said, said, we don't need any more of that. Like we've had a chat with God. You're, you're plenty close we're, now. We've peaced out. Yeah. Um, but now the, 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 the garbage that we had to go through has made the relationship, the, the, my faith, even more strong and real, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't ask for it to be different. And if I hear you, that wasn't just like a direct trajectory up. It's like a lot of ups yeah, and downs. downs. Yeah. 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 What about you, Becky? Did yeah, I'd say the same. Um, I had a harder time getting real and getting mad with God. Um, I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, finally able to sort of have it out. Um, I, I definitely saw a therapist. I did a lot of grief work. And I had... I, I couldn't do it on my own. I really needed somebody to help me kind of unpack the anger part. I felt guilty for being mad, and, and she helped me kind of realize why. And I said, well, in my mind, when I think about Ethan, he's with God, and I don't want to, like, have a, a chat with God that I'm mad at him if Ethan's standing there, just as a mom. I don't know if that sounds weird. And she says, okay, well, in your mind, usher Ethan with the angels to the playground. <laughs> Tell God counselor. how you feel. And it's so true. Like, with our kids, the triplets are 13 now, we know when they're mad. I'm like, just tell me you're mad. You know, it's, it, and that's how it's easier, I think, for me to see it that way. When I put myself as like in his shoes like, as a parent, he wants us to tell him those things. And it really helped me release a lot of my anger when I finally just said, I'm really mad. Mm. Like we glorified you in the hospital at City of Hope. We would walk down the halls. We were trying to witness to people. Mm. Remember that? Oh, yeah. People were asking us, we were trying to be a light, like even in those circumstances, people thought, oh, well, his cancer might, must not be that bad. You guys are so joyful. We'd say, no, he has less than 5% chance to live. Our God is bigger. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, gosh, we, we put so much time into that, Lord. Why? Why, Ethan? Like, why? Why would you mm-hmm. do that? You know, and so I really had to get to that place. And then once I was, it's like you say it, and it then doesn't hold as much power or something. I don't know. Yeah. So, but the therapist really helped me with that. Yeah. Um, to the degree you're, you're willing to share, you know, we've talked about your vertical relationship with God, but uh, for those that are couples here and go through, you know, pain and hardship, how, how did you guys work that out between you? Is there, mm. like, did you struggle? Were you, that, yeah. that's like, that's a lame question. We're right? not very good at yeah. that. We're yeah. not very good at, we were not very good at suffering. Um, so there's, obviously there's different, um, struggles that we shared um, throughout our journey. And um, I'll, just, I'll just touch on probably the one we did most poorly. 
Um, when Ethan died, um, the, the pain was so acute that you can't, you, I couldn't be there for her. Like, there's just no way. And so um, I wish I could have been like, this man of God, and I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to see, see this through. But we just were surviving. So you just, you kind of like withdrew. You just tried to breathe. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's why a lot of, there's a lot of divorce when you lose a child or with triplets or financial problems or cancer. <laughs> right. um, I think both of us are really stubborn. Like we're like, you know, you're not going to have our marriage too. Hmm. Um, you look at our triplets, wow. it's like, you know, we don't want more brokenness, more suffering. So... I think for me, marriage is a choice. It's not always a feeling. It's like, no, we've got to work on this. We need to have a date night. We've been trying lately to, you know, just at least an overnighter once a quarter. And a lot of times when we go, I don't even really like him that much. And then I'm like, <laughs> okay, I've been like, we need to talk about, you know, this, 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 this. And then by the end, I'm like, okay, I'm so glad we went. <laughs> you know, I just think it's you a choice. You just learned that, Mike? Did no, I said okay. we were going to get real. Really, <laughs> so this is real. Um, so I think it's just, sort of a mind over matter. I think the, the common theme is just resilience. Like, I just won't, I don't want to allow more devastation. Like, yeah. we've already, you know, and there's, our, our kids are going to have devastation. That's just life. But if, if that's one thing that we can save them from and, and stay together, then, you know, that's, that's what I want to do, you know? That's really powerful. I, I admire that. And you guys, uh, you know, there are people in our audience this morning, they're, you know, they're going through all kinds of struggles, you know, um, what, as people that have gone through it, and, you know, you're never completely on the other side of some of those things that you've shared today, but, like, what, what advice do you have, or do's and don't do's, or how can you help um. us? There's no like, um, there's no special sauce. There's no perfect answer. Um, but more importantly, for folks who are going through grief of all different levels, um, I would encourage you guys to have patience with yourself and, and know that um, you're not alone. And when we come to church and we, we get gussied up in our perfect clothes and put our perfect smiles on, that, that's not real. You know, the, Statistically, the, the majority of the people in this audience are hurting at some level. And um, fortunately, we can come and become more real than we can in society, um, which is awesome. But the way I describe it is this. God designed us very, very specifically to have a hole in our heart that only he can fill. And if you really think about that, my wife can't do that, my son can't do that, my children. Um, so it's imperative that you just go, palms up, I can't do this. You know, God fill me. Hmm. I'm, I'm here to be obedient, hmm. whatever that looks like. Thanks for, thanks for that. What about you, Becky? Um, Do's and don'ts. Well, I do sort of have a lot of advice about that because you end up hearing the gamut from people. And people aren't ill-willed. And, mm -hmm. and I've said stupid things to people going through stuff too. So um, I, I definitely think 
my advice to people that are walking alongside someone that's going through it is just to listen. Uh, I think saying, I can't imagine what you're going through is probably the best instead of trying to say, oh, I went through something similar. I mean, it's in the moment, you just don't really want to hear it. You know, just saying, I love you. What can I do? I'm sorry. Um, I have a friend that came today that I barely knew her, and uh, we had just met, and she would show up religiously every week with a cup of coffee. I, I kind of thought, like, who is this lady? <laughs> <laughs> we're friends all these years later. She said, we put the triplets in the stroller. We're going to go for a walk. She just got me outside. Um, that was huge. I mean, stuff, I'll, I'll never, ever forget that kindness. And you can't ever pay it back, right? So you just pay it forward. Um, as far as if you're in the midst of it, I think um, professional help for me was, was key. I had to sit with someone that could make sense of things or would say like, hey, that, that thought isn't truth, like how you're feeling, like kind of separating some of it. Um, six months in, I absolutely wanted to commit suicide. I was done. It made perfect sense to me for me to go and be in heaven with Ethan and Mike would marry someone nice. I, as long as she got interviewed by my friends and <laughs> she passed the test, they could raise the triplets. I mean, this made perfect sense to me. I knew enough to share it and someone said, you need to you know, go see someone and get on some medication to stop me from you know, actually doing that. Um, that's just reality. You know, I, I wasn't too uh, proud to know that I was a mess. Um, so I think you know, professional help in that. I, and, it, and it's a lot of the surrender, like what we studied this week in Rooted. For me to say, I, I trust you, God, in the midst of this. Mm. I'm mad, but I trust that your plan is better than mine, and I don't know why. And I won't know that until I get to heaven. And let me tell you, that'll be like the first question I ask. <laughs> when Ethan's standing there, I walk up to him. I cannot wait. And I'll ask him that. But, and then it'll make sense. And now it doesn't make sense, but I know that God loves Ethan more than I even loved him. And I know that he loves me more than I loved Ethan, more than, than anything. And that, that he has our futures, our pasts. And I cling to verses also that really make me feel um, better, like in Job 4, verse 5, or verse 15, I have it marked. It says that our days are numbered. Every man, it's, uh, sorry, I want to give it to you guys. Oh, it's Job 14, verse 5, where it says, since man's days are determined and the number of his months depend on you. I mean, to me, I cling to that because when young people pass, you know, your children aren't supposed to pass before you. I'm like, I, I know that that was his time. Um, I struggled a ton with guilt. It really wasn't till probably this last fall when I went back to grief therapy. Sometimes I'll take breaks and I'm like, okay, it's time to tackle this guilt thing. I'm so guilty. Why did I take him in earlier? I was his mother. Why didn't I know? Why? How come I couldn't have saved him? That was my job, Lord. You gave that to me. Why? Why? The woulda, coulda, shouldas, which just make you nuts. And yet, yeah, you know in your mind that that doesn't make sense, but that's how you feel. And um, so verses like this help me to feel, you know, that his, that this was, this was his day. And he was meant to donate those organs to those people. We have amazing stories of how God has worked and weaved through that. Um, and so I think that, that um, that's big. But yeah, and then also staying rooted in a, you know, a, a group, a church group, um, you know, people, friends, family, people that will speak truth into you, people that will just show up. Um, you can call and say, look, I need, I need help, you know, and that is give it, you get what you give. And so I think sometimes people would say, well, I'm, I'm new here, but I want everyone to do whatever. And as much as, as, as a church family, we want to give, you know, relationships are a two way street. And so I think that 
we had put time into friendships and those came back to us a hundredfold mm -hmm. in those moments. And I'm glad that we had, I and mean, we didn't do it because of that, but I think that those roots of you know, sound friends and people were, yeah. were huge to us too. We actually kind of sat down and made a list of, because we wanted people to leave with tools, mm -hmm. so it's not just like terribly sad, everyone's gonna cry leaving. Um, you wanted to talk about purposeful healing, like making, cho making good choices. Yeah, so there, there's so many different ways to navigate pain. And, um, you know, many people choose alternatives that are just super unhealthy. We all are aware of overeating and, and um, uh, substance abuse, substance abuse in, anything that's, that's counterproductive for the, the situation. And I just, I, I really want to encourage all of us us included, because this is a process that we deal with almost every day um, and will continue for the rest of our mm -hmm. lives, um, to, to really focus on being intentional about your, um, uh, your process. And what I mean by that is um, we can be passive and we can sit back and let, you know, let the devil just beat us up or we can be active and say, you know what, I don't understand. I, don't, I, I will never understand this. Um, I, I don't feel like I deserve it. I, you know, you go through all the, that, those human thoughts, but in the midst of that, maybe that's true, but in the midst of that, I still have to choose to say, you know what, I can, I can, I can take the step forward and say, God, I want to be obedient to you. I want you to... Uh, even in the midst of me, in my own uh, limited human capacity, I still want you to share with me. I still want you to guide me. I still want you to lead. And that's action. I think so many people can get stuck. And it, it just kills me when people get stuck. I feel like I get stuck at times. But I also still keep on pushing. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. This life is short, right? Yeah, it sure is. What, you have a yeah, just coping kind of, list here too? Yeah, Becky? well, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm overly prepared. Lots. But um, <laughs> one thing is I want to read you in this book, A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sister. Which, by the way, that's noted on your note sheet yeah. that you have today. This helped me. Some people hate it, and, you know, but, but I, I loved it. And I think that this last paragraph, and then we'll be done, kind of summarizes what Mike just said. So he had a loss, his wife, one of his children, and his mom all in a car accident. And, and what he says, and this, I can't describe it any better, it says, the sorrow I feel has not disappeared. So this is a couple years or so after. But it has been integrated into my life as a painful part of a healthy whole. Initially, my loss was so overwhelming to me that it was the dominant emotion and sometimes the only emotion I had. I felt like I was staring at the stump of a huge tree that had been cut down in my backyard. That stump, which sat alone, kept reminding me of the beloved tree that I had lost. I could think of nothing else but that tree. Every time I looked out the window, all I could see was the stump. Eventually, however, I decided to do something about it. I landscaped my backyard, reclaiming it again once for my own. I decided to keep the stump there. The stump's not leaving, the stump stayed, because it's both too big and too precious to remove. Instead of getting rid of it, I worked around it. I planted shrubs, trees, flowers and grass, I laid out a brick pathway and built two benches. Then I watched everything grow. 
Now, three years later, the stump remains, still reminding me of the beloved tree that I lost. But the stump is surrounded by a beautiful garden of blooming flowers and growing trees and lush grass. Likewise, the Sarai feel remains, but I have tried to create a landscape around the loss that, so that what was once ugly is now an integral part of a larger, lovelier whole. Mm, that's great. That's a great book, too. Um, any, like, final words from you guys that, that I haven't asked that you're just burning to say? To I think we here? jumped in. What do you mean you jumped in? I think we jumped in and yeah. already yeah. Yeah. shared that. Okay. Do you have others? No. I just want to give you a chance to I just say I feel it. like it's, this is so sad. I just want no, to make everybody really like powerful. happy. <laughs> I, I, um, there is, I, mean, I think that's, maybe that is the one last thing, is that one thing I've learned is that <clears throat> joy can coexist with the pain. And I think for a long time, that's, I think, why people sometimes get stuck, or we've gotten stuck at times, is you think, well, if I let go of the pain and I feel joyful, I'm guilty because then this thing didn't matter that I went through, but it's both. Like, it, it can be awful, and it is awful. Like, what we've gone through is awful. What you guys have gone through is awful. What, what this world, this broken world, is awful, and at the same time, we can look and we can find beauty in there, too. Hmm. And, and just because we choose this, it doesn't mean that this isn't still there. It doesn't mean we're burying our head in the sand. It doesn't mean that this didn't matter, but there's lovely, awesome things that can come out of it. I will never say... I'm so, like, people will come up to us after and say, oh, you touched me, you changed my life. I'm like, well, good for you. Like, I'll never say it's worth it, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't have to say it's worth it. We can still choose the joy and see the good and, and make and, and use our stories, because I think we all need to share more of our stories with each other, because you guys all have stories like this that we need to hear from one another. And we can, and we can grow and see the good that mm -hmm. comes out of these things without this not not mattering. I don't know if that right. makes sense. And so I've learned that these things coexist in our world, this, that, that sorrow and beauty are all, you know, together. And um, that's been big, a big yeah. one, I think. Because in my mind, I was so black and white, like, well, it's either all or nothing, but, you know, kind of seeing right. it come together and that that's beautiful. I think even hard. that picture that Sitzer gives, you know, of like that stump, you know, him recultivating everything mm -hmm. around it but not removing it that's yeah. a really beautiful picture i i just want to say on behalf of sunridge i just think you guys are incredibly brave and um your story um i mean when we first started talking about you guys doing this you know i just i was afraid <laughs> you know uh because I, I know that it's so powerful and um Yet I think that your words were powerful today. And I just want to thank you for your bravery and for coming up here and telling your story with all its rawness and, and all its goodness as well. Um, I love, you know, Becky is on social and uh, something you just started talking about, uh, I think ties into that. Your social is choosing joy. Uh, if you want to follow her, that's, that's out there. And that's kind of like your... That's your word, isn't it? It's every day you're choosing. Yeah. That. You can't wait for to feel joyful. You gotta yeah. look for it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wonderful. And then I want you to know that uh, Mike and Becky are going to be out on the patio with me. If you want to talk to them, um, uh, you know, I, I know that they, they can't give you an answer for your thing right there, but uh, if you just like stop by and and say hello, um, I'm, they'll be glad to do that. Um, 
can I just pray for you guys? Sure, and, yeah, we'll uh, and then so pray. doing, and so <laughs> doing, I, I, I'm anybody here that's uh, in the hurt box. These words are as much meant for you as uh, for Mike and Becky. Will you join me?